You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop, going to look. Gets hit, goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. We get to talk about football, real football, actual games that count in the standings. We cannot wait to dive into this matchup. The juiciest one, I'm just going to say, in the NFL, all of week one, one that we have waited months to talk about. John Boyle looks a little less excited than I do this morning, but it could also be because I have had significantly more coffee than he has. That might be it. You know, maybe I should... Get a few more cups of me before we do this. Do next you time? not know this about me yet, John? What? Like this is kind of how I. I'm aware. I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> Some people would say loud. Caffeinated yeah, is a great tomato. way to say that. <laughs> but if this is how we're going to start today, this could be a very long episode in a very short amount of time. The Seahawks do, in fact, take the field Monday night at Lumenfield, which means that we're all off just a little bit and trying to prep for the week, but. We know what day of the week it is, so I count that as a win. What I don't really count on, John, is anything that we have in our game notes as it pertains to the preseason or as it pertains to last year because neither of these teams have the same personnel. Or the same schemes even. I mean, you look at the coaching changes. Seahawks have a pretty different defense that, quite frankly, we haven't seen fully unveiled in the preseason. You know, the Broncos changed head coach. And it's an offensive guy, so you're looking at a new offense. So, yeah, just a lot's going to be different. Personnel's different. This That's what makes these week one matchups pretty interesting is there's just a lot of unknown heading into the season. Do you think one team or the other has an advantage based on preseason? And I say that knowing Russell Wilson did not take snaps with that Broncos offense. I also know the Seahawks were in the middle of their own quarterback battle, and there was a lot of starters on defense that didn't play. Yeah, it's so hard to say. You know, like Pete Carroll said, you know, he knows Russ really well, and Russ knows them. So it's, you know, the Seahawks aren't going to know exactly what that Broncos offense looks like because I'm sure Hackett was holding a lot of things back, as were the Seahawks on their defense. So Russ isn't necessarily going to know everything the Seahawks want against do against him defensively. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun chess match. I think it's a lot of times in these situations you have sort of a feeling out process early in the game as both sides figure out what they're doing. Well, and before we dive into that matchup too much, look, we can talk about the emotion around it. I know that all the 12s have a certain level of emotion attached to this game, but it should surprise you not at all that Pete Carroll is maintaining the same approach that we have heard for over a decade. This game isn't any different than any other game, but yet it's the biggest game we'll ever play. <laughs> it's the only one we got. And so uh, it is championship game time, and the setting will be that. Uh, the players will feel that and sense that with all of the you know the buildup to the game and the Monday night and the whole thing. And uh, we need to deal with it really well and handle it really well. That means that we play like we're capable, and that's a lot harder than, than, than uh, it seems. And we've... Um, counted on a consistency in these settings for a long time uh, and I'm, I'm you know one of the things that helps us is I think our mentality and the guys know how to handle it and they'll deal with it well uh, we'll see you know this is a great challenge they, they got the same challenge we got we got to do it better than them for years we've always heard people want to ask players and coaches about like oh is this a big game whether it's the matchup or prime time and the answer is always you know it's it, it sounds cliche but it's really hard to do what P. Carroll wants them to do and it's, you know, truly not say that it's not a big game, but say that they're all big games because 
if you go out and get all hyped for this and pull off a great win and you're like, wow, we did this. And then you have this letdown week two because it's not perceived as, as big of a game, then, you know, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself down the road. So it's a really tough challenge. And that's why Pete Carroll likes this matchup. Not, he doesn't like it because, Oh, it's Russell Wilson and all this. It's he likes it because it will test his team. It'll, it'll be really good kind of teaching for his players. And, you know, on the other side of the ball, you got guys who are facing their former team who came over in that trade. So it's going to be a fun challenge for all these guys to really just stay focused in and treat this like a football game. And for as much as Russell Wilson has heard that for years from Pete Carroll, I do think it's going to be different because there is going to be a fan reaction that I think is going to be mixed. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Tyler Lockett talked about this of, you know, Russell Wilson did a lot of amazing things for this franchise and, you can look at it and say he should absolutely be cheered. He won a lot of games. He did great things in the community. That's all true. But it's still an emotional moment for fans, and there will be fans who feel betrayed or jilted or whatever. And there's going to be some boos, whether you know you can argue whether there should be or not, but that's going to happen. Fans have the right to do what they want to do. So it will be interesting, A, to see what that reaction is, and B, you know, if it affects Russ at all, just the emotions of it. Well, and whether the emotions affect it or not, I can guarantee you the 12s will affect it in one way or the other because this is the first time that Russ will not have the support of the offense, excuse me, the support of the 12s when he is on offense. And let's just go back to some numbers from last year. We know how much the 12s can affect false starts and can affect communication at the line. If you look at the Seahawks numbers last year, again, Russell Wilson is quarterback, fewest interceptions in the league, but they were among the league leaders in giving up sacks, 46 sacks allowed. Now, that is not just an offensive line thing. That is a chosen style of play by the quarterback. But certainly that gets exacerbated when you have 76,000 fans screaming at you. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen this. We haven't seen, as you mentioned earlier, we haven't seen the whole defense very much in the preseason. But one thing we've seen in bits and pieces and also in practice is the speed of this pass rush. You know, some guys who look like they're going to be able to get home. And it will be really fun to see how that looks in a game setting with these new guys, the new scheme. And you're right. I mean, Russell Wilson holding the ball for a long time did a lot of great things for yep. Russell Wilson. He made some of the most amazing plays we've ever seen by, make, you know, staying with a play, making somebody miss, doing something crazy. But it does also lead to more sacks when you do that. So there's going to be opportunities for that Seahawks pass rush to get home. Well, and for that Denver offensive line, 40 sacks allowed. So in the same ballpark there is the Seahawks. Again, you talk about those pass rushers being able to tee off. And I think when we talk about scheme and everybody wants to know, how is this scheme going to make them better? I don't know that it's the scheme. I think it is going back to utilizing the strengths of individual talent. Because one of the things that was really surprising when you look at last year's numbers is that they were at the bottom of the league in takeaways. That is not typical of a Seahawks defense. But if you get some of these guys that have unique skill sets and you go back to the foundation of Pete Carroll, I do think it's not the scheme it's just putting people in a different spot. Yeah, and I mean, Pete pointed this right after the season ended. That turnover number is tied pretty closely to pressuring quarterbacks, and they didn't get that done as consistently as they would have liked last year. So if you get that pass rush figured out, whether it's, you know, the new guys like Gachana Nuosa and Boye Mafe, or it's, you know, finding ways to get Jamal Adams more involved. You know, he obviously didn't have as much success rushing the passer last season as he did in 2020, but if you can affect that quarterback, I don't care how good they are. It makes it a lot easier to get the turnovers if you're getting pressure, hitting them, forcing them into bad decisions. And as much as there are new people on defense, 
You mentioned it earlier, but I want to hear Pete Carroll say it. The relationship that he has with Russell Wilson, and this just isn't Pete. This is a lot of coaches on the defensive staff, and this is a lot of former teammates. They know one side of this matchup. I just want to hear how Pete phrased it. I do have as much information as you could have. You know, I've never probably known a player any any closer than than, than knowing Russ and his quarterbacking and his play and mentality and all of that. Um, so, you know, he knows me too. You know, he knows us. So um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's going to be an interesting chess match on that one. And I'd, I'd like to think the Seahawks have so much experience. And again, for all the new faces, there's still some constants that have been here for the entire time. Whereas Denver... New head coach, new offensive coordinator, new new quarterback. I'm not saying that they're not going to be successful. That's an awful lot of newness to have to work out some wrinkles there in week one. When we talk about kind of where this matchup goes, you've got to talk about some of the rookies that we expect to play significantly, if not being starters, based on what we know from the depth chart. I do think, John, that one of the matchups that works well for the Seahawks, you talk about pass rushers on the Seahawks defense. I don't think that's the strength of the Broncos at this moment. So if you're going to start two rookies on the offensive line, that could actually be, I'm not going to say an easy transition. How about an easier transition than if you were coming out and playing one of our division opponents right out of the gates? Yeah, and I mean, look, there's going to be at some point, whether it's week one or against a great pass rusher down the road, there's going to be bumps in the road. You don't start two rookie tackles and not have a few issues, but there's been nothing to show in the preseason or training camp that these guys don't look ready for the NFL. They've both played really well. They've graded out well in their preseason games. It's, you know, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but if you, you know, if those guys are both starting and they play like we think they can, that's a pretty incredible feat to set yourself up down the road. If you kind of nail two tackles in one draft. So good stuff out of both those guys. I think, you know, we've seen more in the running game than maybe people thought we would based off the offenses they played in in college. They both look strong there. So a lot to be excited about there. But yeah, I mean, it's it's week one. There's there's going to be a few tests for them. Well, and as we mentioned previously, I realize that it is a different set, right? Like if you are going to run block versus pass block, mm-hmm. every single offensive lineman wants to go forward. Yeah. Every single one of them wants to be like the aggressor instead of taking the step back for pass pro. So I, I think that that's a transition that gets built up as one thing, but actually turns out to be much easier. But here's what I want to know. The Denver defense allowed the third fewest points per game last year behind Buffalo and New England. Does that concern you going into week one, or is that like all the other numbers that really don't have any context right now? I mean, there's plenty of talent carryover, and even though Vic Fangio's gone, their current coordinator is you know has those ties to that Fangio scheme, worked with him in San Francisco, so there's going to be enough overlap that this should still be a good Broncos defense. They still got some really good players, especially on the back end, so you know, I, I don't look at that and assume that they're going to be the same and put up the exact same numbers. But yeah, this is a legit defense the Seahawks are going to face, and it'll be a good early test for Geno Smith and company. Yeah, you talk about those guys on the back end. How about Justin Simmons, an all pro? Patrick Sertan was another one that came on pretty strong last year. And if you get into the special teams battle, which I don't really want this to come down to a field goal, but it very well could. Brandon McManus, second highest field goal percentage in team history for the Broncos. I realize that we talk about things and we have seen the Seahawks practice. I love the energy of the defense. I think this is going to be really exciting to watch another group of players reach new heights. I don't think anybody else 
around the country feels the same way. And Pete Carroll, quite honestly, does not mind. People have been saying stuff about about teams for years. You know, they don't know. They just, you know, they're just guessing at this point. And then we go and prove it, and we see where we are. And then we battle for whatever. Win, win a big game in the opener or struggle and, and not win a big game in the opener. you got to come back and get going again and, and, and get back on track regardless. So uh, um, we're, we're preparing. It's championship game time. I'm not changing any of that thinking or any of the mentality that it takes to perform in this setting. And uh, I'm hoping that it'll help our guys. I get, I mean, this is such a quarterback driven league. I get where if you're somebody from far away and you're not paying close enough attention, you just look at Russell Wilson's gone. And then you add to that Bobby Wagner that getting released. And it's like, oh man, this team's tearing all down. They don't have anything, but you go and you, if you're around it and you see the pieces they've added, you see the changes they're making on defense, what they're going to be able to do in the running game with Rashad Penny, who at the end of last season was the best running back in the NFL. He was putting up numbers no one else had. There's a lot of things to really like about this team, and I understand that there are some concerns about the quarterback, but A, Geno Smith has looked really good in the preseason, even if the numbers don't always show it, and B, Pete Carroll doesn't need this team to be a quarterback-dominant throw the ball 50 times a game to win. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be excited about. And, and as Pete Carroll said, he's not too concerned about what the national narrative is about his team. You mentioned Rashad Penny. At the end of last season, he rushed for 135 or more yards in four of the last five games. That ground game was really going. Part of it was because they committed to it. Mm -hmm. Part of it was because Rashad Penny was running with a much different style after the influence of Adrian Peterson. And I thought it was interesting that Rashad Penny – Earlier, when talking about this week one matchup, was asked about DJ Dallas, and he said DJ is doing a better job at putting his foot in the ground and running instead of, you know, kind of dancing behind the line, which is exactly what we had seen from Penny from his first couple of years in the league. It was like he, he'd seen it in somebody else, yeah. too. Well, I, I think that can be hard for a lot of running backs. Of, you know, in high school and college, you can just be so much more athletic than everybody on the field that you can dance around. You can try to turn every play into a home run, and then you get to the NFL, and you're like, oh, no, that doesn't work. I'm going to get tackled in the backfield, How, if, you know, unless you're Barry Sanders, which is he's kind of one-on-one. You can't do that. So it takes some learning sometimes. But, yeah, we saw it from Penny. It, you know, he was so decisive last year. They were blocking it up really well, and just, you know, game after game, he'd have these huge runs. The stat I always go back to with him is the – the runs of 25 or yep. more yards he had, he tied Jonathan Stewart for the most 25 plus yard runs in the NFL last season. And he did it in like a third of the carries. So he's a, just a big play waiting to happen. And I think, you know, once Kenneth Walker's back healthy, we don't know yet his status for this week, but that's going to be a really explosive rushing attack. And again, it takes a lot of pressure off your quarterback when you can do that. Okay. And it does a couple of things. It evens out time of possession which Seattle was the worst in the league last year. They had the ball for about 25 minutes a game. The Broncos, meanwhile, tied for the eighth best. It's 30 minutes a game. That run game should help tremendously, and that's what you want. You want your offense to be on the field, sustaining some long drives, let the defense get turnovers. That's the blueprint for Seahawks football. And when you talk about what you are asking the quarterbacks to do, John, playing the AFC West this year, it is going to be very interesting. The style of games are going to be different for fans to watch, and you are going to see, I think, two very different styles on either side of that matchup every single week. Yeah, I mean, all of these AFC West teams are leaning pretty heavy on some really elite quarterbacks, and you're probably going to see some pretty explosive offenses. And to your point, the Seahawks want to kind of get back to the formula that won them a ton of games and a Super Bowl and all that of 
you know, it's not that Geno Smith isn't going to make plays. They're going to need him to make some big plays. They still want to be really explosive in the passing game, but they want to get back to being a lot more balanced of leaning on that defense a lot more, getting the turnovers, you know, just doing all the little things versus we need our quarterback to just be phenomenal to, to be competitive. We're going to talk about the leadership change on this team and the new captains in just a minute. But I think one of the other things the Seahawks are battling this year, it is not just AFC West teams. It's not just kind of figuring out who they are as a team. It is absolutely going to be some of the travel miles. I'm going to share some numbers with you in just a second after we get more from our sponsor, Delta Airlines. The best stories aren't the ones you're told. They're the ones you live. Meeting people in person. Facing challenges face-to-face, getting out of your hometown and your comfort zone. Delta knows how important it is to see a different point of view from a different point of view. So for those who want their own story to tell, Delta Airlines has a world full of places to start. Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. The Seahawks are going to spend a lot of time on the road this year. No team racks up more miles or more time zone changes than the Seahawks. 29,446 miles flown, 34 time zones. So you're crossing back and forth 34 times. Denver, John, second most in the league, 27,000 and change, 32 time zones. You know where I'm going with this. Pittsburgh? Yeah. This is ridiculous. They don't leave the time zone. No. They never leave their time zone. They travel 6,000 miles total. Well, here's probably my favorite stat. Maybe not favorite. not the right word. But the Seahawks in two preseason games traveled more miles than the Steelers will this entire season. Well, I was about to say that trip to Pittsburgh and back is about 5,000 miles. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That's, you know, we're kind of isolated out here in the Northwest and the trip to Germany adds on to those miles so I mean I'll take the trip to Germany I'm good with that I just I spent time uh in the Midwest I cover the Mariners as well and somebody said well boy it was so fun that you were in Detroit and Cleveland and I said you know what the best part of Detroit and Cleveland are close together it's a 20 minute flight Mm -hmm. (laughs) any team that are playing in the middle of the country it's like you get on the plane you don't even have time to eat you're off the plane there are some benefits to that but here's my question for you John if you were going to travel that many miles are you an aisle or a window guy given your preference you know, I know most people like the window. I like the aisle because I just get antsy. I need to get up. I, you know, first of all, it's important to stay hydrated when you fly. Yes. So it's good to, you know, be able to get up and go use the facilities as need be. But I also just, I get kind of tired of sitting. So being able to get up, move around. I'm also not a good plane sleeper. Yeah. So with respect to my fellow seatmates who might want to sleep, it's nice if I'm not trying to climb over them. That's true. I would say for me, it also depends on which side of the aisle. I am a left-handed person. And so uh, if I'm trying to do work, I know. Throwing your left-handed elbow. Right. I have to be very careful with this, which is also awkward because I like to sit on the left side of the plane. I, I, I don't know. You have a preference I on have the a side preference the on the side of the plane. And it's just out of habit. I have flown on the same side of the Seahawks plane for years. When I book my own travel, I typically, fl- I don't know. It goes back to my to my younger days. You sat in the same pew in church every Sunday. That's just how it worked on the same side. I got it from my dad. I don't know. Uh, I promised to talk about Seahawks captains. There is a leadership change, although when you think about it, I don't know. Tyler Lockett has always been a leader in the locker room. Now he is just recognized in an official capacity. He's always been that guy. He's always done everything that you would want him to do. In all ways, and and he's been a great football player. Um, 
and he's you know I've said to him already you know just today that you don't have to do anything different because you've been you know, chosen captain because you already lead you've been a leader for years around here and I don't want him to think that that changes anything because it doesn't um He's been a marvelous Seahawk, and and uh, you know, and he's been rewarded for that, and, and he's rewarded us with tremendous play forever. We're really lucky, really lucky to have him on our team and have him be recognized by the team. It's 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 a good statement in both directions that uh, he's the captain, and they they realize he should be. You know, it's sometimes it just is someone needs to leave for somebody else to step into that leadership role. Pete Carroll's been talk asked a lot about leadership. Understandably, two longtime captains are both gone. But he keeps leaning or going back to the fact that they've had all these guys, guys like Tyler Lockett, Al Woods, Quandre Diggs, Jamal, you know, all these guys who have been leaders, but it's just maybe your voice isn't fully out there because someone else is the lead voice. And now these guys are stepping up. And again, the Seahawks feel really good about the leadership they have, even if the captains are new. I totaled up the number of years that the Seahawks four captains have in the league. So we're talking Tyler Lockett, Quandre Diggs, Al Woods, and Nick Ballor. 40. 40 years of combined experience. Now, part of that is skewed by Al Woods and Nick Ballore, both of whom have been in the league 12 years. But it really is incredible the amount of football these guys have seen and also the amount of interactions they have had, right? Because Tyler hit on this when we talked to him. You cannot talk to everybody the same way. And if you want to get the most out of people, you've got to be really good at those interactions. And you've got four guys that do it in much different ways, including Nick Ballore, who will never give you a serious comment. But it helps to kind of lighten things up. It does. Well, as Nick Ballore said, you know, him being a captain, it's, it's a testament to the young guys sorting our ages in descending order, <laughs> is how he put it. And, you know, you do that. You click on the roster. It's There's true. an experience tab. You click on that. And right at the top are Al Woods, Nick Ballore, Quandre's right up there, Tyler's up there. So, you know, the young guys just found the oldest guys they could and voted for him. It works out. But no, it's, I mean, it is, I do really like about this group, there's a, a pretty good variety in personalities. Yes. And I think that can be good for a team of not all those guys are going to lead the same way. They're not all going to talk to the team the same way, but I think it's, it's good leadership. Uh, I think this team's in really good hands from that standpoint. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that we are just about out of time, but John, we will bring it back because we have done this every year. Two things that you need to see for a Seahawks win on Monday. I mean, it's just so obvious, but take care of the football on offense. If you're Geno Smith, especially, he's got to be the leader there, but it's on everybody. You know, don't, don't make it easy on Denver by giving them the ball. And then other side of the ball, make it tough on Russ, you know, hit him a bunch, get in the backfield, you know, make him feel what it's like to play with the 12s, making it hard on him yeah. instead of having the quiet side of the fans on offense. So fans can play a big role in that get a little rowdy. You know, it's, it's a five o'clock game. You got a little extra time for hydrating, if you know what I mean, and uh, <laughs> be loud. And then let's see that pass rush get going and let's call it a, uh, Three or more sacks. Oh, I was going to say two or more I'm sacks. I'm greedy. I'm going I three. Would, okay. Especially since we have not seen kind of the full complement of this defense. Here's what I'm going to add. I would like to see time of possession. I know this is my thing. If you have listened for any length of time, I always look at this number. If you averaged 25 minutes of offense last year, I'd like to see at least 27 in this week's game, which would indicate a lot of good things, I would think. So that's what I'm going with. We've got our numbers, we have got what we are looking for, and we have given you an idea of what to expect. Week one against the Broncos, we'll be back with you next week to see how we did, to see how they did, and to continue with Seahawks Insiders.